Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. And we realize that whenever Reformation has happened in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. If you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. Also, let them know about our newest announcement, the Hall of Tyrannus. We're really excited about this new opportunity to disciple reformers for the CRCNA. If you'd like more information on this, head on over to themessyreformation.com and look for the Hall of Tyrannus. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Rob Braun. To see three quarters to two thirds you know, of everybody there, and mostly young guys, vote for the HSR. It was such a warm feeling for me. I mean, I'm again, you know, I'm all excited about it because it was I. It was why I stuck with the CRC it, because I I have such a love for its heritage, and I now I have a, a great hope now, a, a realistic one. Of, of your generation carrying that on and it is why i stuck it out like i told you before i was disappointed back in the 90s with all these guys i highly respected they there was a lot back then there wasn't the internet so they everybody had periodicals i had them all i loved their writing i love where they were at but they decided that they're giving up the fight and i just thought you know how heartbreaking yeah there, there was enough of us there was enough of us then to, to, to hold the tide so God bless you guys for coming back and doing that for us. Well, and it was interesting. I talked to someone. So this is like a few steps removed. um, But I had talked to someone who had talked to, uh, I forget if it was Michael Horton or Bob Godfrey, right? They were part of the group that left. Yeah. uh, After this past synod. They they wanted Godfrey at that synod or the synod before that to be the banner editor. Oh, man. Would that have been amazing? They did that on the floor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that would have been great. I would have loved yeah, God. It would have been, yeah, would yeah have we would have had a whole different different ball game here. But but anyway, somebody had talked to them after this past synod, and they said something along the lines of, if we would have known that this next crop of young conservative men were coming, we maybe would have stayed. Yeah, but at yeah. the time, we thought there there is, like, this denomination is dead, and there's no new generation being raised up, and so... So we're leaving, but they were saying, thankfully, God has raised up another generation and, and uh, they're conservative and, and they're bringing about reformation here. But, but it was interesting to hear that from them, that at that time, they didn't, 
they felt like there was no hope and nobody was coming up. And so, and even you said that you said that even if they would have probably voted on the HSR back in 97, it probably would have been split more back then. Um, but now we've God's been doing this kind of work of, of reformation in the CRC to where, I mean, I do think that this two thirds to three quarter vote is very representative of what I'm finding out as I'm talking to pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church. Like that's a pretty clear picture of where our denominations at or heading. I mean, or that's heading. this is that's a, that's important. That's important because you know Willie who helps you, and mm-hmm. wish Willie would get his act together and get himself in school so he could get into the pulpit. He'd probably get to the pulpit anyway. But anyway. Um, we need more guys like that. There's guys, I, I was going to work with a couple of guys, they're Willie's friends up in Pees that are a lot like Willie. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's the old CRC. Like, I, m- I remember talking some of the, you know, this is back in the 90s. So I'm talking to guys that are older than I am now. I'm almost 70. And back then they were saying how how deep the, the sermons were mm. of the pastors back then, before television, before radio. This was their week. I mean, the, the preaching was the entertainment for the week. And people took it serious, and it was very deep stuff. It was not; it was very theologically thick. These farmers expected that, you know. Where today they go, "Oh, you're just over everybody's head." Well, it's true, and that's sad. Yeah. That the gen, you know, that in our world that's so uh, entertaining itself to to death, the Christians have uh, fallen in line with the world more for entertainment than they have for you know, the power of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I, uh, I talked to pastor after pastor after pastor who has to deal with this, the criticism that you're speaking too intellectually or you're speaking over yeah. people's heads, but you know, the, the interesting thing, um, that the main people I have heard that objection from as have actually not been my congregation. It's kind of other pastors or other people who are listening in saying, ah, you, you maybe should water it down a little bit. But my, my people themselves have never told me that I'm speaking too deeply, too intellectually, um, or, or speaking over their heads. And so I think there's sometimes there's this just false idea out there that people aren't ready for this kind of material or, or that if you're in a rural church with a bunch of blue collar workers, that that they're not intellectually ready to to talk about these things. And I think it, it really drives me nuts because for one, I'm speaking to you who's been a blue collar worker your whole life, right? And you're like, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm ready to hear some of this. And and I'm coming from being a farm kid, and my yes. dad was a farmer. And my dad has been saying for years, I need more meat in these sermons. I need people to really take the God's word and go deep with it because let's be honest, farmers are not stupid people. Right. And so no. like all these blue collar workers are actually very intelligent and, and um, they're just using their intelligence in different ways and they can understand these things. There's some guys at the peace church. I'm just, they're a lot like Willie. They're his buddies, of course, but they are, they're yeah they're in about 30 ish you know maybe young 30s and and they have a passion for the reform faith and they're mostly farmers or blue collar workers you know they yeah it's it's so exciting to see that the passion coming finally through you know oh we got that they realize we got something great and wonderful you know in this in this heritage that we have It's, it's just so sad and like i for example um now he started the uh he split from the CRC, but Hoxama wrote um 
uh, he wrote, actually, it was a series of sermons he did in his church on Revelations. Behold, mm -hmm. he cometh. If you read it today, now this is the 1920s. This was sermons he did in his church. And I challenge people, you can get it free online. All you have to do is go to, um, just plug in um, Behold, he cometh by Herman Hoeksema and, um, and read it. This was sermon material in the 1920s in the CRC. Yeah. And, and people today will go, what? <laughs> yeah. Because he was using the languages, the Greek, going back to the Hebrew, where it's quoted from, giving, you know, and, 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 I, and I just think something's happened in all oh. these, you know, like last 70, 80 years, that, or 100 years now. It, it's just, you know, you, with all the information, and this is the sad thing, you know, some people thought that if, through the internet, we could be exposed to all the information in the world that, you know, uh, it would make the world a much smarter place. And mm -hmm. it actually has made us stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, which is insane. You would think intuitively, why would that happen? But people are people. Yeah. It, it, well, and it, I, I've always told people, it, it's kind of this fundamental principle of knowledge, I think, that it seems to be... Um, knowledge sticks with you kind of as correlative to, to how much you had to work to get that knowledge. And so like, if you can just Google an answer, you can get it really quickly mm -hmm. and you don't have to put any effort into getting the answer. Um, but you will forget it the moment you put your phone down and walk away. Um, but the, but the things that I know that are like just deeply planted within my soul are the things that I've had to work with and wrestle with and struggle with over the years. I've had to debate with people on and, uh, and those things are just firmly planted deep within my soul. Cause I had to really work to understand them. And so like having all of this knowledge right at our fingertips and so easy to get actually prevents it from really kind of being implanted deep, deep on our minds. And yeah, our reading, reading books, reading. Yeah. I mean, that's be, like the guys I'm talking about at peace. They read. <laughs> you mm -hmm. can tell. It, there is a difference in their way of looking at things. When somebody actually takes time and reads things, you can see it in, in the way they talk about stuff. If they're doing what you're doing, just, you know, listening to uh, their favorite, po you know, podcast guy or, or, te or television cable guy, um, you can tell because they're often mimicking them rather than having a, a very thoughtful way of looking at things, which books often challenges to do that we really have to intellectually you know our, our intellectual grid has to be built up and worked on at, at absorbing that stuff you know it's it it's it, it, that's why one time my old church my charismatic church when i used to do these reform sermons there was a lady she now has a phd she teaches in a, a university uh she uh she she used to nurse her kids too so yeah, I don't know if you had that experience, but I had a, this church was very young. It was all young wives. And so the women would have their babies and you know, all covered up, but they'd have their, so I had a group of them nursing as I was preaching, but she was one of them. And, and she used to come up with me baby in her breast and go, you know, I love what you're teaching, but boy, my head hurts by the time it's done. Uh -huh. <laughs> Good. You know, that's what I want. Uh -huh. That means your intellectual grids is expanding. That you're actually yeah. taking that it's saying that you're you're putting the effort into really grasping what I'm talking about, and as a consequence, it it, it hurts because you, you haven't thought of things that way before. The grid in your mind is expanding and connecting yeah. to other things that you uh, know. So yeah. it's 
It's saying, like I told you that people often ask how does a blue collar guy like me able to read the thick, like Bob, for example, and guys like that. And I go, well, it takes time. You have to, you have to, you know, like anything, you have to ex- develop the grid, the intellectual grid to absorb it. And once it's established, the reading actually comes easier because you're acquainted with what they're talking about and it builds upon itself. And, and it's so, again, reading is so important in our church. It's yeah. a lost art that should be obvious, but it's not. Like going through yeah. our confessions, taking the time to do that. Some people, it just, ah, it's too much work, you know, too much thought, which is sad because shouldn't, shouldn't our faith be thoughtful that yeah. we're able to, as, as Peter says, to be prepared to make and give an answer for the hope that's in you. Apologia is in Greek there. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we've kind of gotten lazy. Yeah. And, it, well, and I think, I think a lot of people just assume, I, I've heard a lot of people assume that our confessions are, too deep, too hard to under understand. To all of these type, you hear all of these these different things, and um, and it's I don't know. It makes me sad because you know that like these confessions were written for younger people, young people, to be able to understand their faith. And we're hearing you know older, mature saints saying, "I can't dive into the Belgic Confession," or I don't hear many people say, "I can't dive into the Heidelberg," but. I can't dive into the Belgic or can't dive into the Canons of Dort because it's just too, too hard for me to understand. And I think, man, these were written as basics of the faith. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's right. There's, they're written for the average person. <laughs> that's what they were yeah. written for. They were written to be taught. They were written to be preached from. Is it, it's, we, we have, yeah, we've kind of robbed ourselves from the riches that we've been handed, you know, like I said, when I first joined the CRC, somebody asked me who left a friend of my pastor, um, when he was leaving him and I sat down and had to talk about it again, I was begging him not to, but he said, I, you know, at the time it's the nineties, he just didn't see that the church had a future. And, um, and I said, you know, listen, I believe in the power of the gospel. I believe in the power and of what we have, the wealth that we have the heritage that we have. And I believe there's a spiritual power, the Holy Spirit, that will move this stuff along if we stick with it. And like you were saying, I, I had many discussions like that with guys. And um, and they just had given up. And I just felt so bad. Because they had grown up CRC and all that. And they went to seminary. They saw the battles in our seminary. Basically, um, orthodoxy you know, in our own seminary especially in the college too that was always kind of an issue there and uh and and they were just just in their time so you remember like you're talking the 90s you're seeing this pattern going on and they grew up in that and they're saying yeah i just don't see going ever turning around going the other way amen it did (laughs) yeah amen yeah and i I mean i think it'd be helpful for you just to speak too because i know that you know a lot of people left synod 2022 um, feeling good about the direction of the CRC, but then now following that, right, you had the banner who was, uh, like yeah. you pointed out, refusing to post anything positive. They posted right. one piece. Uh, actually, they posted two pieces that were semi-positive about. Because I, I've written him. I wrote him. I wrote mm-hmm. him a nasty letter because he knows me. We know each other. And I wrote him. And I said, you know, you know, this is not fair. You're not portraying what happened that's not being honest. You're as a reporter, you're supposed to be fair. You're yeah. not being fair. 
And and so I, he finally let in a couple good articles. I thought that much like the one I, yeah. I don't know why he didn't print mine. I, I thought he'd print mine once he printed those because it was basically the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he posted two good ones after like four months of just, right. it took a while. Bad, 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 bad. And, and so people are seeing that and people are seeing all of this conversation right now coming from a lot of official places saying that, well, if you disagree with what Synod decided, just file a, a, a confessional gravamen and, and you're fine. You can just kind of believe whatever you want in the CRC, just file a difficulty with it. And, and you're yeah. fine. And so I'm, I'm hearing, you know, I'm hearing a lot of people, a lot of conservatives saying, well, maybe Synod 22 was nothing, right? What did it mean? Nothing like what's going well, on? It's, it's, I and think there's a lot of people. Who so. I think, I think you're right. I think the battle's not over I, the way it, I've been. CRC is a small world. So you hear all of it. Right. Yeah. And I'm connected to a couple of guys that uh, I'm on their uh, pod list, podcast list, and also on their, uh, email lists i get all their stuff and they're on the liberal side yeah and they're gearing up for uh, to fight it they are they're gearing up they're coming up with the arguments they're and i could the grab them and it's one of the arguments you know that um because it's one i have you know like in our church we have former baptists so mm-hmm. they, we just you know to make them an elder they they just you know they abide by the rules you know that they don't talk about baptism that's their views on baptism will push them and uh and their people are using that to excuse themselves from just basically just to ignore everything we did in, mm-hmm. in uh, our Senate. <clears throat> and so that's another battle. It's, it's like you guys had dealt with, um, was it your group that had to deal with the atonement issue? Uh, no, but yeah, I, I know the people who were dealing with that. Yeah. You know, N.T. Wright in the Scottish church, N.T. Wright had a debate with somebody who had that position. You can get that on, on YouTube. N.T. Wright debated somebody on the atonement issue. And that guy had taken the same position and came up at Senate. And mm. uh, it's well worth hearing. I mean, he, he, there's, they, they, they weren't, they were both very personal. They're typical British, Scottish, very personal, very nice, and very pleasant to each other, but very, and, you know, it was very good. It was, they hear both sides in a fair discussion. And, uh, and N.T. Wright made the comment at the end of it, he goes, you know, I really like this guy. But if he was in, because there are two, two, there's a state church, a free church of Scotland. Mm-hmm. If he was in the free church, I'd kick, I'd have him, <laughs> I'd, I'd uh, take away his uh, ministry license. <laughs> yeah, amen. And I think that's a huge, that's a huge thing for us to remember in the midst of even these conversations around human sexuality in the Christian Reformed Church. You know, so yeah. many people want to call us like hateful whatever because we're saying you cannot be a pastor or an office bearer in the crc and hold on to these things that's not a personal attack on anybody i can i have friends who who hold on to these things and i can say to them like i like you i i even love you but i still don't think you should be a pastor in the christian reformed church because this is where we're at this is what we hold to and so it it doesn't have to be a this hateful back and forth and I have it's an, an opportunity, to, put an opportunity to educate. We we need to educate. That's the way we win the battle. We need to um, educate ourselves first and be able to make a defense for the hope that's in us and make it alive in our life and our faith. That And that's what the church, with you young guys, you guys have done that. You guys are good examples of what everyone needs to do 
is to educate themselves and, and to, to be able to give the answer they're supposed to be able to give, not shy away from, not be embarrassed by it. We're all called to evangelize, right? We're all called to bring the good news and make it good news. Um, but it, it, we got to be careful about witch hunts too. I, I, I fear that too. And that attitude that goes with that, right? In the church, because none of us has it all down perfectly, right? We can all kind of nitpick each other and find fault, right? And so we have to be careful there. We need, we need to, in conversation, come together. You know, I, in that article I wrote, you know, um, how, how, how nice or how good it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And, um, and I wrote in that article, they didn't print, what did I say? Let me see if I got it right here. I wrote, um, coming together is often the harder part of obtaining the good and pleasant part of Christian fellowship. But nonetheless, despite the struggles that may try to block our way to it, as Christians, coming together and dwelling in unity is our biblically required goal. We are required to pursue it. And the best way to just is, is, is just a, our mutual love for God's work. At Synod, I got in a bunch of conversations with you know guys I really respect, respect and 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 uh, you know and like as people, but I they just they didn't see the HSR as a good thing for the church. And they were giving me their reasons why. And you know, they were sincere and they're being as honest as they could. I just told them I couldn't agree. I just, I can't come to where you're at on that. I, I Because I just don't, for me, it's not being intellectually honest with the biblical text. And then of course, they, part of the problem too is there's books out there that's preying on people's ignorance of the languages of the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew and distorting and using that distortion of those words to say, yeah, the, the, the New Testament doesn't say what it really says, right? <laughs> and that's yeah. really a dangerous place to get into where you can't trust reading the Bible. Yeah. And that's what they were telling me. And I'm going, ooh, you don't want to go there because <laughs> yeah. that just undermines everything. When you go there. Yeah. You either, you, well, you that's what we're seeing happen. Yeah, second, yeah. second yeah. Corinthians 4, Paul says, uh, I use my computer for Bible, but Paul makes that point that he he never um, I, I don't know if I can quote it right, but he uh, he never used um, deception or or trickery, you know, to uh, to present the gospel. But he he presented it with a clear conscience, and that was it. And and so that's my whole argument why I'm reformed: intellectual honesty. Yeah, I can tell you, I've heard so many charismatic sermons that were basically telling me what how the guy felt as a result of his breakfast you know they get up there and it's and, and it's just all their angst or whatever and very little of the bible very little of, of god's word and it's a, it's you know like i said we we have something wonderful we have such a great heritage i just wish we could appreciate it more and well you guys are so i, I shouldn't I'm saying today that we're finally starting, I think, to get there. We have the, the voices in the pulpit that need to be there. Yeah, no, well, I just want to dive deeper into, because I think that's where some of the, the wrestling match people are having, uh, something you had said earlier about, like, we don't necessarily want to go on these witch hunts, right? 
Uh, And then there are other people saying, well, you can't go on a witch hunt. You need to just focus on unity. Uh, And when they speak about unity, they're just saying, let's just all agree to disagree on everything. Yeah. And that's not a path toward unity either. So, so like, what is, what do you think the, the path toward unity is where we don't fall into the, the trap of just like the witch hunt, but also like we don't fall into the trap of just this fake unity that is no unity. Well, you guys are it. I think you guys are the answer. And that's been my, the problem in the past is in our pulpits, there was such a weakness of commitment to the meaning of God's word. There was almost, and even in the CRC, a lot of guys preaching, like excusing or or re-explaining what the Bible's saying to make it sound like it's not really saying what it's saying. And mm-hmm. if you're a person in the pew, Spurgeon had a great saying. If there's, they said it at Synod, right? Um, if there's mist in the pew, there's fog in, in the pulpit. Yeah. And that's that's what was happening. And, and when you get the clear word of God, when you're really educating God's people with what we believe, and in fact, we have a rich creedal heritage. If we just start, bringing that to the people so they know what we believe and why we believe biblically why the pulpits are like the best place and is because we haven't had a very strong presence there's almost like people were backing away from you know really being biblically exegetical right being really getting into the meat of god's word but more importantly how our creeds and confessions um really explain very simply and very well um, the basics of our Christian faith. And like you were saying earlier, they were written for the average person. They were written, like the catechism are written to educate people on the basics of Christian faith, even um, uh, what, what you call the Apostles' Creed. That's what it was about. The layout, and it's why it's in every catechism that you have, even the Catholic one. It, it's, it lays out the basics of the, of the biblical faith. And so that's what we need to get back to. We just, from the pulpit, need to educate our people with, with the beauty of God's word. And, 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 and like I said, my, my biggest problem has been throughout my charismatic time with the liberal Lutheran pastor, and now some of the CRC pastors I know, is the lack of intellectual honesty to what we believe. That has always been my, and it's like this friend who just joined our church, a woman, she got my wife. My wife reads Spurgeon every night now, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so I get some really good reform discussions going with her. She's wonderful, and this woman got her going on that, and and that's what she said to me. It's honesty. They the reform writers are the most honest handlers of God's word, and to her that was so refreshing because a lot of times these guys you see on TV they they just leave you you know in a cloud. You're going, you know, they have their own gospel. It's not even from the Bible again. So. And yeah. it's confusing. Yeah, and I think uh, that really is the call that I think we want to leave everybody with in this podcast is if we want to see reformation in our churches, you know, actually maybe go the other way. If we want to see reformation in our denomination, we need to have reformation in our churches. Exactly. And in order to have reformation in our churches, uh, pastors need to, one, they need to love God's word, and then two, preach God's word. And, and then preach it, like you said, with an intellectual honesty, not trying to make it say something it doesn't say, but really, truly grabbing hold of God's word. This is what it says. This is what it means for us today. And if we can do that, 
then Reformation starts happening in the pew, and then Reformation happens throughout our denomination as well. Yeah. See, that has a, I, I remember more than once, I have my, in my former church, I'm still in touch with a lot of people there and some of the pastors. And I said that my biggest problem was if there's any one place that people should be honest in, it should be in the pulpit of a church. And if you're clearly mishandling God's word, most people are aware of it. And the problem is you're signaling, making a signal to them. They can do that too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes with charismatics, they say, well, that's, I give you that story. You've heard this from me before. Um, we had a prophet, a prophet gathering in our church up on a, we have a resort of Northern Wisconsin. And uh, one of the guys came in and it went haywire. They started prophesying at each other and accusing each other of all sorts of things. So it went nuts because they're all big shot thinking they were over each other and there's no order of how that works. So, the one guy was given, <clears throat> this friend of mine was given one of the big week prophets arrived to the airport from Hayward, Wisconsin. And um, and he had that long trip all the way to Minneapolis. So he took the chance to talk to him. And he said, don't you think the basis of our prophetic life should be in God's word? Shouldn't it be rooted? If we're going to prophesy something, shouldn't we be able to find it clearly in God's word? And the guy's response was, that would make you word bound. Hmm. And he, he goes, what? He goes, well, how then do we know who's right? How do you, because this friend of mine had been to many churches all over the world and preached in many. He said that messages are all different. How do I know who's right? And this guy who answers him, he goes, by the highest revelation. And my friend is going, well, what does that mean? He goes, you have to find the person with the highest revelation. That's what you go by. And then he, in, in that statement, he turned to him and goes, I'm one of them. Yeah. And see, and that's the scary thing that happened. And, that's, and so that's charismatic. So they have an excuse because they think they're hearing from the spirit. But in, in the CRC, people, are, I don't know what they're hearing from. But to, to be able to torture and twist and turn scripture from what it's clearly saying. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's the same thing, just done differently. With the whole, you know, claiming a different authority, but still claiming some kind of weird authority to do it. Well, calling yourself basically the highest revelation, right? I mean, I think Augustine, I don't have it memorized exactly, but Augustine said, if you only believe in the Bible, what you want, you are not trusted. You know, you are making yourself an authority over God's word, not holding God's word as the highest revelation. And I think you're right. We're seeing that over and over again. People saying, no, I am the highest revelation here. And so I'm going to make God's word say what I want it to make. Well, I, I was asked in one charismatic church I was involved in to teach. And actually I taught the Heidelberg Catechism. I taught I, um, a history book from the CRC. Uh, what's it? I can't remember. Uh, Kuiper, uh, R.B. Kuiper, a history book for high schoolers. And I taught church history from that because these people know nothing of church history in this charismatic church. So I used it as a base. I used some of them. Uh, Burkhoff, he has small books that you can study out of. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen those. I got a bunch of them here. Mm-hmm. If you ever come by, I'll show them to you. Uh, you can get them online too. Anyway, um, so I was using that, that material to educate people. And um, to, to do it, I had to go before the elders of this church. And the guy that was promoting really was trying to get reform teaching in the church at the time. And so I went in there and, uh, and they were all kind of 
arguing over like, well, you're teaching Luther and Calvin? Well, didn't they baptize babies? You know, and that kind of dismissed all that. And, and so it was just went on and on. And the problem with that church I was involved with, the leader of it, the guy that started it, got a, claimed that he, he sat in a, uh, a closet, a literal closet for three days, writing down all the revelation God was giving him. And it was called Fivefold Ministry when he came mm-hmm. out. And then when he came out, he found somebody he re- he respected, another prophet, and it was you know handwritten paper this thick, you know. And he goes, "Can you uh, check this out for me, brother?" So the other guy takes it like this and goes, "It's good." <laughs> and so that's what they taught, <laughs> and that's what they taught. And I said to them, "Which is more honest? Somebody hiding in a closet claiming he gets a revelation for what we should believe." Or someone who goes through church history to listen to the, the great cloud of witness of church history and builds his faith upon all those people that came before us. Who's being more honest about their faith? Well, that stumped them, actually. Unfortunately, I didn't think it would. But it stumped them because I, you can see it's clearly it clearly was not an honest thing to do. This guy did not want to do his homework. He just wanted revelation, and that's the way he's going to run his church. And, and again, we're, we see that happening all the time. It's happening in the CRC, not in a charismatic way, but in a, di- you know, in a different way. They're, they're finding their own revelation beyond an honest reading of God's Word. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for our conversation with Lee Christoffels. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Reach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.